Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Merry Christmas and welcome to Village Presbyterian Church. I'm Reverend Tom R. And I just want to uh, share with you a phone call I had earlier this week uh, from Reverend Noah Tall. Um, I've taken a few notes so I could share it with you. Uh, he called me earlier this week, uh, Reverend Tall. He's the pastor of Ninth Presbyterian Church in Presbyville, Virginia. Presbyville is a small and slow-moving community nestled in the mountains of western Virginia. I did a seminary internship in that congregation uh, years ago. Reverend Tall, he, he graduated a year ahead of me, and it was his first year of ministry there, and he's still there. He called me and he said, Tom, can you imagine preaching to the same congregation for 35 years? I said, yeah, I know one guy who did it for 47 years. It kind of depressed him. He called because he wanted to know what we were doing for Christmas Eve worship he sounded a bit panicked. He said, you know, I've been here for 35 years, and to tell you the truth, I've just run out of material. I said, you're an underachiever. I ran out of material a long time ago. I've been here only 17. I've repeated some stories so many times that, that my friend Tedrick, he just numbers them. He said, well, 35 is pretty good, but 112, you've done too many times. My friend Scott, a couple of months ago, he said, Niagara Falls, we haven't heard that story in a while. Maybe you could try that one again. I said, but don't worry, because your elders know that if you don't preach, they'll have to. And that knowledge, with that knowledge, they'll pray you through any dry sermon or attack of laryngitis. What prompted the call was Reverend Tall had opened his Christmas folder, and it shook him a bit. He's the one who taught me that when you finish a season like Advent and Christmas, take a few notes of things you need to improve and put them in a folder so you can retrieve them the next season. It's in the Christmas folder where there's the reminder that those little candles that we hold up for Silent Night, you don't store those in the attic uh, during the off-season. They're not going to make the summer. And there's the reminder that if, uh, if your Advent candles actually uh, have that oil that they burn, uh, you want to refill that before the, between the early service and the latter service on Christmas Eve. One year, the Christ candle flickered and went out because we didn't refill fill the oil. We're singing all is calm and all is bright, but it was noticeably less bright at the Christ candle. Evidently, last year, Reverend Tall just made one note in his Christmas folder. He said, as bad as Christmas was in 2019, it better be something powerful in 2020. It kind of shook him because it's 2020. He'd actually forgotten Christmas in 2019 it seemed like a lifetime ago and maybe on a different planet, but it was beginning to come back to him. And the thing about Christmas in Presbyville in 2019 is it was kind of blue. It wasn't much Christmas spirit. Everybody's running about a quart low of Christmas spirit in Presbyville last year. It started with Dink Williams' experience. I've told you about him before. Uh, Dink, he's the son of Mabel and Hampy Williams. And he was in his last year of seminary in Atlanta, 
And the seminary got a phone call on a Friday morning. It was from the clerk of session at First Pres in LaGrange, Georgia. They called and asked if they had somebody at the seminary who could come down and preach on Sunday because their pastor was out with a bad case of diverticulitis. And Dink said, well, I, I, can, I can do that. And so he wrote a sermon and got up Sunday morning and was kind of practicing it. He let time get away a little bit, and he had to rush down to LaGrange. He drove down to LaGrange. They told him the church is right on the town square. And so he pulled into the squares. He got out of the car. He heard the town clock uh, uh, chiming 11 o'clock. He raced into the church, and usher there gave him a bulletin. The service had already started. They were singing the opening hymn. So while they sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Dink Williams walks down the center aisle and up into the chancel. They had a fancy chair. He sat in one of those fancy chairs, and he looked over. They told him there'd be an elder there who would, who would take care of the rest of the service. He looked over at the elder, who was smiling, obviously glad that he had finally arrived. When the hymn concluded, he sat down and, and looked at the bulletin, and he immediately had noticed a typo. They had listed the title of the sermon as, as Christmas Memories. But he had told them he was going to preach Christmas Surprise. It didn't seem like an easy typo. And then he, he looked to the side where they list the preacher of the day, and it didn't say Dink Williams. It said the Reverend Frank Chambliss. He wondered if they had given him a bulletin from, from the week before. He, he looked back over at the elder, who was still looking at him and smiling, and Dink noticed that his smile was less welcoming and more anxious. And then he looked up at the congregation, and even though the children's choir was singing, he seemed to have the full attention of everybody in that church. He looked back down at his bulletin, and he was thunderstruck. He realized then he wasn't in the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. He had walked into the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. He had noticed there were two churches on the square, and he picked the wrong one. He looked back over at the elder, who was still kind of smiling, and realized he probably wasn't an elder. He was probably the Reverend Frank Chambliss, who was planning on preaching Christmas memories, but was getting a Christmas surprise. Even though the children's choir was still singing, Dink had to go. He separated them like the Red Sea, and while they're singing, knock, 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 went Joseph, he walked down the center aisle and out the back door as they sang, no room, no room for the beast of Bethlehem crossed the square and entered the Presbyterian church just in time to read scripture and preach Christmas surprise, which it had been. It was stressful. He got home to Presbyville and he told his folks he wished they could just go out of town for Christmas this year because word was out. He had preached at First Pres LaGrange and everybody wanted to know how'd it go, how'd it go. He didn't want to talk about it. They actually thought it was a pretty good idea. Because the truth is, it hadn't been the best week for Mabel and Hampy either. Things were fine until they went shopping together. Big mistake. When Hampy shops, he gets out of his car, he walks in, he sees what he wants, he pays for it, he's back in his car. It's three minutes tops. But for Mabel, shopping is an adventure. It's an outing. It's a quest. She's got to try on everything in the store. Hampy found this very annoying. 
They were there to find him another Christmas sweater. He no longer wore the one with the reindeer on it because the reindeer had the nose, and if you actually pushed the nose, the sweater sang Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to you. It didn't bother him. He kind of liked the song, but when he fell asleep in his easy chair and he crossed his arms, well, he would hit that nose and the sweater would start singing. It would wake him up with his sweater singing to him. He said he wasn't going to wear it anymore. It was annoying. He also found it was annoying looking for a new sweater. Mabel had him try on about, well, 24. And then she said, oh, this is it. One more. She said, let's try on one more. He had had it. He said, woman, I'm done. He walked to the cashier. He, he paid for the last one he tried on. He said, I'm taking this one. He paid for it. He walked out to the car. She said, Hampy, you can't wear that one. It doesn't go with your eyes. He said, woman, I'll close my eyes. Just get in the car. Well, to remedy things, the Williams decided they might go to New England for Christmas. They hadn't planned it, but Mabel called down to Ninth Church, told Reverend Tall she was sorry, but they wouldn't be there on Sunday. Dink couldn't light the candle of joy because they were going to New England. Besides, it was warm in Presbyville. Reverend Toll said, yeah, it's not bad. It's kind of like March. It's kind of springish. Mabel said, yes, it is, Reverend. And we all know that sweet baby Jesus wasn't born in the spring. He was born in the bleak midwinter. They were going to New England. Maybe some lower temps would raise their mood. That was Wednesday. And on Thursday, Reverend Toll got a call from Mabel's sister Melba, found out that well, the Murphys, Murphys were leaving town as well. Melba had called her daughter Evelyn and asked if, if when Evelyn was in town, Evelyn and her husband Frank, they live in Roanoke, she said when she was in town for the Christmas Eve service, didn't they want to just spend the night at the house so that it would be easier for her and Frank and the baby to, to be there when the sausage casserole came out of the oven. Evelyn and Frank got married three, four years ago. Now I lose track. And this past year, they gifted Melba and Earl with their first grandchild, a baby boy named Preston Reginald Lawson. Uh, but Frank just calls him Buster. Well, Evelyn said, Mama, Frank and I have been thinking about it, and we've decided we're just going to stay home for Christmas this year. It took a minute for Melba to realize when she said we're staying home, she meant they're staying where they live rather than coming home, as she was thinking of it. She said, you're not coming to Presbyville for Christmas? She said, yes, we are. We're coming on the 28th. Well, that's fine, but that's not Christmas. It's three days late for Christmas. Like, you can't treat Christmas like it's being delivers, uh, delivered by Amazon. You've got to be there on time. Evelyn said, Mama, we've talked it over, and since Buster's here now, we think it's time for us to start some of our own traditions. Well, Melva called Reverend Tall and said, I just thought you'd want to know that Evelyn and Frank and the baby are not going to be here for Christmas. I just thought you'd want to know since you are the one who married them. Melba had a way of making you feel responsible for things that were completely out of your control. She said she knew that when her children grew and they left the nest, you couldn't do anything with them anymore. You just placed them in the hand of the Lord. That's what she said. Just placed them in the hand of the good Lord. That meant when things didn't go the way Melba wanted them, she couldn't complain to God, so she just complained to the preacher. She said, they're going to be in Roanoke for Christmas. I just thought you'd want to know. 
The idea of her baby not being there Christmas morning was more than she could take, and so she, she told Earl, she said, well, the Williams are leaving town. Let's leave town, too. She told Reverend Tall, I hope Christmas Eve is lovely. It's the first time in 30 years or so we haven't been there, but we're going to have to leave. I just thought you'd want to know. Well, this began to eat at Reverend Tall. He felt responsible. Everybody was low on Christmas spirit. You couldn't find a fa-la-la in his congregation if you used a microscope. He looked at his church staff. They were walking around the place like they were galley slaves forced to produce another Advent season. Calvin Knox, he took the cake when they had the planning meeting for Christmas Eve worship, and he said he'd been working on a new arrangement of joy to the world. He'd set it in a minor key. The Purdue's were going to Atlanta. The Williams are going to New England. Dink can't light the candle of joy. The, the Murphys are going to Indiana. What's in Indiana? And Calvin Knox is singing minor joy. Everyone was leaving town, but, but Reverend Tall, he's like a kid with a liberal arts degree just hanging around the house. That's why he went to his Christmas folder, and it said, Christmas 2020 better be a whole lot better than Christmas 2019. But that's impossible because this is COVID Christmas. And things were going poorly as it was. He had asked the Perry family if they would light the candle of peace this year, just get an Advent wreath on their kitchen table. He'd send them the readings, just light the candle there and take a video of it, send it, send it to him. Jerry Perry, the eight-year-old, he insisted on lighting the candle. His, his mother, Susan, and his older sister, Melinda, they would sit there in front of him by the, by the wreath as, as they did the readings. Well, everything went pretty well. He got time to light the candle and... and Jerry, he struck the match, and he lit the wick of the candle, and it went just fine, and he blew the match out like this, and they continued in the reading. He blew the match out like this and then put his hands back together. He had the matchbook in this hand, and the match was out, but it was still hot, hot enough that he ignited the entire matchbook in his hand. He didn't know what to do as he had not done this before. So he decided to close his hand on the matchbook to extinguish the flame, which worked, but not immediately. For just a half a second, there was fire exploding out of both sides of his hand. He's waving it around. Poor Melinda, his mother, has no idea. She said, today we light the candle of peace. And he's back there jumping around behind it. It looked like some circus act had invaded the lighting of the Advent candle, or maybe the tongues of fire from Pentecost had broken away, crawled over some pages of Scripture, and invaded the wrong season. They sent the video to Reverend Tall, but he couldn't use that. So he just impromptu. He said, it's the candle of peace. Light your candle and be careful. COVID meant that nobody in Presentville could actually go out and purchase presents. Hampy Williams thought that might be Santa's greatest gift. So things should have been better this year at the Williams house, but, but Christmas Eve, things went kind of sour. Mabel had planned Christmas Eve dinner to be a turkey. She always had turkey on Christmas Eve. But when she called to order the turkey, they told her that the only turkeys they had left were 28 to 32 pounders. Well, she said, I can't use that. It's just my husband, my son, and I. And the salesman said, well, the 28 pound ought to be plenty then. She said, we can't eat all of that. She didn't know what to do. 
she decided, I'll do baked chicken. But she felt guilty because it's Christmas Eve. It's supposed to be turkey. Now, the guys didn't care, but she felt guilty. So she decided she would supplement the baked chicken with her, with her world-famous meatloaf. The word is her meatloaf was unforgettable. And if I've made you think that's a good thing, I've misled you. It was, it was like no other food in the history of food. She would take the meatloaf to church night dinners, and people would have to talk, and so they would say things like, Mabel, I've never tasted anything like this. Mabel, people can't stop talking about your meatloaf. Mabel, who knew meatloaf could taste like this? She'd just beam. Well, Christmas Eve, she brought the baked chicken in, put it on the table. She said, I- I'm sorry, it's not a turkey. It's just this what we have this year. But I've, I've supplemented it with the, with the meatloaf. And she said, Hampy, I'll, I'll put the meatloaf down here by your plate. He said, oh, I think this year I'm just going to go with the chicken. That's all he said. I think this year I'm just going to go with the chicken. She said, don't be silly. It's Christmas Eve. Enjoy the meatloaf. I think this year I'm just going to go with the chicken. It was in that moment that the light bulb went off. And she said, Hampy Williams, are you telling me that you don't like my meatloaf? Oh, Mabel, I didn't say that. Are you telling me that you don't like my meatloaf? He said, Mabel, your meatloaf is unforgettable. She all of a sudden realized all those church night dinners, all those things those people had said, all of those stay-at-home birthdays where she had made meatloaf to celebrate, she told him, she said, I hate this meatloaf. I just made it because I thought you liked it. All of a sudden, she realized her whole marriage was a lie. She got so mad, she grabbed the plate of meatloaf. She walked into the kitchen and opened the back door, and she launched the meatloaf out into the backyard. She held onto the plate, but the meatloaf slid off into the backyard. It was so dry, it broke up in the air and kind of scattered across the backyard. Their dog, Luther, ran up to try to get some, but he smelled it, and he backed away. She came back, and she slammed the empty plate on the table, and she said, Hampy Williams, would you like to return thanks? I suppose it was COVID. Everybody's a little stress. Reverend Tall didn't know what to do in an environment like this. But he remembered it was years ago, years ago, that Ninth Church used to do what they called a live nativity. Members of the church, they would dress up as Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the magi, and they'd go stand out in the front yard, and they'd set the scene like they were at the manger. Doug Doug Perdue was pretty handy. He made a manger and a stable even, and they would stand there around the manger with a baby doll in the manger, and people from town would come and see it. It was like a living Christmas card. There were no no lines, no dialogue. They They would play Christmas carols on a loudspeaker. One year, the volunteer pool was rather slim, and Doug Perdue got stuck being a shepherd four nights running. The temperature was in the mid-30s each of those nights, and by the time the sweet baby Jesus was born, Doug Perdue was in the hospital with double pneumonia. He got over it, but it did inspire some creativity. He said he thought it would be safer for the congregation and it would avoid a a risk of workman's comp if rather than using live people, he just made images of Mary, Joseph, shepherds, and the wise men out of plywood, three-quarter inch. He got the women of Circle 3 to paint them. It was not 
the work of Michelangelo, but most people, if you looked at it kind of in the dark, you could tell who they were. But that eventually passed. I mean, it was one thing to come watch your neighbor stand around the manger. It's something else, less inspiring to watch three-quarter-inch plywood stand around the manger. So they eventually just stopped the practice, and they stored all those images in the attic of the sanctuary. Reverend Tall remembered they were there, and he told the custodian, Michael Lane, he said, go up in the attic, see if you can find those manger characters, and bring him down into the chancel of the sanctuary and just set it up there. So Michael did. He went up. It took him a while to find them, but he found most of them, only one wise man that he could find. He found most of the pieces. He brought them down, and he put them in the sanctuary like he was asked, but he left a note for Reverend Tall. He said, you might want to step in the sanctuary and give that manger scene a look-see. That's what he said. You might want to give it a look-see. And here's why. Reverend Tall reminded me that Ninth Church's founding pastor was Reverend Bailey. I think it was Isaac Bailey. He served the church for about 12 years, and a lot of people say eight of them were pretty good. When he retired, they planted a water oak in the yard there in his honor, and over the decades, that tree has grown into a mighty oak. But last summer, or summer before, now that I think of it, summer before, a storm came through and it blew the Bailey water oak over and the top of the tree speared the roof of the sanctuary. It had to get the whole roof redone. Nobody noticed it at the time, but when it came through the roof, it evidently damaged some of the characters of that nativity scene, the plywood. The, the Mary was fine, but Joseph was missing an arm, had an arm knocked off, and one of the shepherds had a leg knocked off, and the only magi, the only wise man that Michael could find was headless. Reverend Tall, he walked in the, walked in the ch sanctuary, and he looked up in the chancel, and it looked like Ninth Church was featuring the nativity scene made out of bad Greek statuary where everyone was missing a limb or a hand or something. Michael asked him, Rev, you... You want me to put this back up in the attic or just carry it to the dumpster? He said, yeah, you better throw it out. But before Michael got up into the chancel, he said, no, wait a minute, Michael. I've changed my mind. Leave it there. It's perfect. What he had planned to do is he had planned to live stream his Christmas Eve service sitting at the manger sort of inviting the congregation to meet him at the manger side to, to again celebrate the wonder of God's love born in the world. Well, he did just that. Christmas Eve came. They, they zoomed the cameras into the chancel and the congregation could see the plywood manger scene missing body parts they wondered if their pastor had finally gone round the bend. Reverend Tall, he lit the Christ candle. Marie Crenshaw, she sang O Holy Night better than she'd ever done it before. And Reverend Tall sat right by the manger, and he said, you know, 2020's been pretty rough. It's been a hard year. It's left us a bit battered. And if you're like me, what you'd hoped was Christmas would bring a little peace. That it'd be 
a Christmas where all is calm and all is bright and we get a little respite from what's been beating us up all year. That's the way we think of Christmas. We, we think of it kind of like this manger scene here, I imagine he would have told them, where everybody's at peace and everybody's beautiful and even the baby, no crying he makes. But Reverend Tall said, you know, Christmas wasn't like that. Actually, it wasn't like that at all. It was hard, and there was struggle. The shepherds, they taught us new songs to sing, but you could still see the fear in their eyes. And the wise men, they had to go home by an uncharted way because no less than Herod had threatened them and the child king they had come to worship. And Joseph, God bless Joseph, still trying to wrap his head around the fact that he's the dad. He got to raise this boy. And Mary, she could have used an angel or two to stop by that lonely manger as she looks at her baby in a manger because the world has no place, no room for her own child. For God's love to take on skin and breathe in this world, it wasn't easy. It came with struggle, and it was hard. But God made it happen anyway. God made it Christmas. Through all the hardship and all the struggle, God made it Christmas anyway. So maybe this 2020, where it's been hard, when things haven't been the way we had wanted to, this 2020, where we've seen more hatred than, than we want to see, and we've seen more division than we want to see, and we've seen more grief and heartbreak than we want to see, and we've been lonely more than we want to be. Maybe this is the Christmas that we come to this manger that's more like us. Because coming here, there's a holy love that calls you by name. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy hereafter. It won't. But this holy love, it is what carries you through. There are generations of those who have gone before us, and they've had it harder than we have, many of them. And it's their testimony that the love of this manger, it will carry you through. So even on a COVID Christmas, we still have reason to sing, don't we? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.